So you paid attention to what you just sang, I hope. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not His equal. Satan is not just a figure in history or mythology. Demons are not just uh, for Halloween celebrations for little children. Devils and demons. Satan is real. And Satan scores victories regularly and has victims regularly. Now, here's something you want to watch for. And I want to encourage you pastorally today. And every week it just seems like the, the text that is before us is the text our church needs for the week. And so there shouldn't be anything that's kind of abstract. Or there shouldn't be anything about the message today that seems distant because it's an appointed text for this Sunday and for what's going on in your life and what's going on even in our own uh, congregation. And that is, Satan will regularly take victims... Satan will regularly take victims. Uh, is that true? Have you ever been victimized by the devil? Well, I should be honest about it. Amen? Who in the world hasn't been victimized, hasn't fallen prey to a scheme of the devil? And that happens regularly. Now, so, so Satan will take victims, and, and he will have uh, at least temporary victories. But Jesus is the victor. Uh, yeah, that was kind of weak. I, 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 let's just work on that now. Um, because Jesus deserves our praise. And He deserves our honor. We need to praise Him. We need to worship Him. We need to exalt the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance to do that again. Listen to this hymn that our pastor picked for us uh, this morning. Though, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure one little word will fell him. And then, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. He's the victor. Jesus is the victor. He's Lord Sabaoth. He guides the armies of all the universe. Though Satan will take victims and have momentary victories, Jesus is the victor, and He always will be the victor. We want to stand back and watch how that happens. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Kendra, I can't imagine how, how much more appropriate your song could have been. It may be, what did you say, a thousand sleepless nights, but God is at work in these things. God is at work even in our failures, and God is at work even in our enemies, and we will see that as we just feast on the passage that we have before us by the providence of God today in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Shall we take our copy of God's Word and find truth and solace in the Word of God and stimulus in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 8? And the story that we're going to study today and allow the Spirit to impress upon us is verses 28 through 34. 
Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Now that you have it in your Bible, and hopefully you can look on with someone, if you didn't bring a Bible today, let's stand together now and let's quiet our hearts as we listen to the Word of, of God for God's people today. And when he had come together, and when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they came out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. And they went into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Father, we ask for your aid as we quiet our hearts and souls before your word today, that you would speak to us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, that you would expose our hearts, and that we would be sincere followers of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Jesus goes to the eastern shore of Galilee, and you remember that he went through a storm to get there. And, and, and there, there's no question that, that the storm was opposition to Jesus going to a region here that's a very pagan region. Jesus is heading over into the Decapolis, the, the region of the Decapolis. The cities of the Decapolis were, were influenced by Greek Hellenism. Bad news, paganism, elevation of the human body, uh, Olympic events perform in the nude, uh, sacrifice of pigs, filthy, vile, pagan practices. It was a dark area he was going to. So he's sailing into a dark area. Satan opposes him on the sea. Jesus calms the sea. Jesus gets into this region, the region on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We would say it looks, the, the Golan Heights look down on this area. And immediately when he gets there, what happens? He just so happens to be greeted by two guys who are demon-possessed. Two guys that normally hang out among the dead in the tombs in the region that you can actually still see there today. They lived among the dead. They were incontrollably fierce. People would not go anywhere near there. They didn't take the footpath by those tombs because it would have been very dangerous. These guys were seriously troubled by dark forces. Two demon-possessed men immediately meet him. A number of years ago, I was in a conference, and a speaker stood, and he said, he believes that in America, there is an unclean spirit in America influencing many, many people in America, an unclean spirit. And he used the harmony of the Gospels of this passage, the Gadarene demoniac. We often call this passage the passage about the Gadarene, the maniac of Gadara. In Matthew's account, he talks about two men that were here. Um, in Mark, there's a longer account. 
This teacher said he believes there is an, uh, that there, that the evidence of, an, uh, of unclean spirits in America. And that sounded kind of fantastic until he began to list the kinds of things that you taken from these accounts that are evidence of an unclean spirit. These are things that were true about these demon-possessed men. And, and while I read them, ask yourself the question, do you see that anywhere in our culture that we live in today? There is an attraction to religion. It's not an irreligious person. These men who were demonized were not irreligious. They, in Mark, it says they fell down and they worshipped Him. They called Jesus by name. There is an attraction to religion. There is a fear of God's judgment. Immediately they say, you didn't come to judge us before our time, did you? There's a fear of God's judgment. There's uh, self-mutilation. Has it ever confused any of you to, to know that, that many people in our society, many often young people in our society, have a compulsion to cut themselves? When I was a boy in Sunday school and I read these stories, I thought, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of. Now you commonly deal with people who have a compulsion to cut themselves. Why? Is it possible that that's evidence of an unclean spirit? There is an association with death. Living among the tombs, and there is uh, interest in death things. There's uh, uncontrollable the chains didn't work in the Mark passage. The, 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 the maniac would break chains and so forth. Uh, unpredictable, shameless nakedness, naked, running around naked. Unusual strength and an alienation from the family. He, in, in the Mark passage, he, the, the maniac uh, of Gadara is delivered by Jesus from the demon and he wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, you need to go reconcile with your family and tell them what great things that God has done for you. Do you see any evidence of that today? Any evidence of that in our culture? Any evidence of that around where you live and work and maybe your home, maybe even in our church? Is there any evidence of that? I think so. And so we should take very seriously. These aren't just like fables or, or legends or, or something that is to be locked away like in the vault of history. But we should recognize that the same devil who wants to keep people in darkness and he wants to oppress them and he wants to damage their lives and he wants to keep them away from the Lord is still tirelessly at work with demonic forces today, still trying to break the hearts of people, still trying to ruin the lives of people. Even now, even today, very close to where you are right now, there's a large herd of pigs nearby. A large herd of pigs, actually 2,000 of them. The demons, in verse 31, begged Jesus to cast them into the swine. And for some reason, demons don't like to be without a host. They don't want to be homeless. Verse 32, he does with a word, go. He cast them out. They go into the pigs. The pigs then run down a steep slope into the sea and die, choke and die. Now what happens is next is interesting. You, know, you don't have people running over to Jesus going, I know somebody else who's oppressed by a demon. Come with me, there are more people like this. You don't have people running over immediately and saying, Jesus, if you have the power to do that, you can heal my daughter. You don't have people running over to Jesus and saying, you must be the Son of God. Will you please forgive me of all my sins? What happened? The keepers scurry back in town. Now, 
you have to understand, obviously the keepers, probably not the owners of the pigs, are responsible for the well-being of the pigs, and so they're in trouble because their pigs are dead. And this is going to be hard for them to explain, am I right? I mean, a guy came and he cast demons into the pigs, and then the pigs ran away and they all died. Honest, that's what happened. People are like, say that again. Yeah, well, there's this guy, and he cast demons into the pigs, and they, get, they ran down, and they it drowned. Are you sure you didn't, like, have a business on the side, and you're, like, selling off the herd, and you came up with this fantastic story? You're in trouble. So, you know, in fairness to them, they went back to report, I'm sure, to the owners what had happened to their livelihood. The main thing is interesting. If you look in verse 33, it says, Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city... And told everything. And then, like in the, in the original language, it's kind of incidental. Incidentally, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. As if what happened to the demon-possessed men is incidental to the, what happened to the pigs. Do you see that? They're gonna go, they're gonna go say, the pigs are all gone and this is what happened. Oh, oh, oh. And there were a couple of guys who were demon-possessed and, and, and the demons came out of them. Tell me again what happened to my pigs? the idea. Now, I want to give you a key. I was, some of you know I was looking around on Facebook this week for a big key, and nobody helped me on that. But, you know, if I had a key to the city, I would, I would have it right here. You ever see those, like, big key to the city? If I had one right now, I'd be holding it up. All right, so you're going to have to use your imagination because I couldn't find one. I want you to imagine I got the key to the city, all right? You're holding up the key to the city. You understand these people in this city did not bring Jesus to the key to the city. But that's kind of not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the key to the passage. What is... God telling us through this passage. What, was, what, what did God the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to say to the original reader audience? That is the key. That question is one of the key questions to discover the central truth of a passage and know what it is that God wants us to understand. Okay, So track with me. Track with me. Listen to this. It's very important. Imagine this. This key that I'm giving you, the key to the city, the key to the passage... In a narrative passage like this, one of the keys to understand what's the central truth here is to ask yourself this question. Why did Matthew write this story this way? Why? What was he getting at? In other words, if you have, and you should get one, you never ever, ever notice if you come to Evangel, we have a book recommendation every week. So it's one of my brothers, one of the brothers came to me today and said, it's costing me a lot of money to go to church here. Because that book last week was really expensive. Well, here's the book you want to get this week. A Harmony of the Gospels. A Harmony of the Gospels, or sometime in the near future. Get yourself A Harmony of the Gospels, uh, 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 it's, which has, obviously, the Gospel accounts in columns that kind of correspond with one another, so you can compare them. When you, when you compare them, you see the Mark version of this is very long, and the Matthew version is very short. Why is that? Was, <laughs> was Matthew in a hurry? Did he have writer's cramp? No, of course. I'm being facetious. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to put every word that he put there and to leave out every word that he left out. He was inspired, carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the Word of God, the Word of the living God. So Matthew had an aim that was given to him by the Holy Spirit, a specific message that he was giving. This is the key, the big key to the passage. Authorial intent. What's the author trying to say here? What is it he's trying to say? That's the question. Ask yourself, why did he put in what he put in? Why did he leave out what he left out? Why did he emphasize what he, what he emphasized? 
And what's interesting here is when you study this passage, the emphasis is not on the poor, demon-possessed guys, that you would think it would be on the poor, demon-possessed men. The emphasis is not on the poor, demon-possessed men. It's like they didn't even get to talk. It's almost like the demons are doing the talking and the negotiating and so forth. We don't hear in this passage anything that happens to them afterward. It's almost like the focus in this passage is on the pigs. The focus is on the pigs. It's almost like the pigs are the most important thing in this passage. It's like the people care the most about the pigs. I believe that it seems clear to me that the Spirit has inspired Matthew to say to his audience, do you see who Jesus really is here? Do you understand who Jesus really is? Because people who don't understand who Jesus really is will always pick their own filthy self-interest over Jesus to their own loss and to the loss of all those around them. People will choose pigs over people. People will choose pigs over Jesus if they don't really know who Jesus is. Matthew is building an argument here about who Jesus is. Matthew and Matthew is building an argument about Jesus being the Son of God. Jesus being the the Anointed One, Christ, the Messiah. Jesus being very God of very God. The, The only one who can deliver us from the torments of the devil. And now here he comes to a new region and he casts demons out of these dark forces, out of these men, and the people politely ask him to leave. Because he's interfered with their self-interest. He's interfered with their pigs, their business. Because Mark says, because of fear. Can you imagine being afraid of what Jesus was going to do with you? And being confident about your own plans for the future? Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm sure none of you have made that mistake, right? I'll take things in hand myself because I trust me more than I trust Jesus. I think we still have people who fear Jesus and choose pigs. I think we still have people who really fear what Jesus has in mind for them. And they don't have confidence in what Jesus has in mind. And maybe it's because they really, in their heart of hearts, in the deepest part of who they are, have not really seen who Jesus is. Because to see who Jesus really is has got to drive the fear out of your soul. And got to make you thirsty for Him. And it's got to make you choose Him and prioritize Him over self-interest, over money, over hobbies, over pleasure. It's got to make you love Him more and trust Him more and choose Him over fear. Think of the kinds of things that people, when they, they pick pork over the kingdom... I was at Cracker Barrel. Can I get a witness on this? How many of you think Cracker Barrel is a worthy establishment? That's what I thought. I was at Cracker Barrel. Pick up this Christian leader, and I'm really eager to spend time with him. My two oldest sons, I want them in on this. We're going to have an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or three hours with a, with a Christian leader. There was a, there was a time in my life I would have thought, of all the guys I know, I would like to spend a few hours with this Christian leader, sit down and talk with him. I get to pick him up from the airport. Now, it's right over here in Belleville. We pick him up from the airport, so a couple of years, a number of years ago, and, and we're going to go to Cracker Barrel, and we're going to treat him to, to dinner, and then we're all going to talk and have some fellowship. What's interesting about this guy is he teaches that there is health value to the Old Testament dietary law. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you what he said. He felt like there was ongoing health value to the Old Testament dietary law, and he taught that. He taught that regularly. Now, I wasn't really sure that that didn't border on legalism, so I didn't pass that along to my family. He was really serious about that, though, but I didn't really teach my family carefully. 
and now the menus came. And the waitress says, you know, what would you like to eat? And I just saw this happening before my eyes. I knew it was going to happen before it happened. I'm like, no, don't do it, no. My boys, they look down, the, and one of them goes, I'll take the pork barbecue. And I was like, oh, not the pork barbecue. Could we have eaten kosher one time, you know? And I'm like, oh, no, you know, that's not good. And then the other one, my other son, he looks down, he goes, that sounds good. And then he just says it right out real clearly like that. I'll take the pork barbecue, too. And I kind of look over at the leader, and I go, (laughs) (laughs) kind of smile at him, and he goes, I've already prayed for them. (laughs) Now, don't go away and say that I encouraged you to keep Old Testament dietary law, because that's not what the Bible teaches. But it is interesting how often Christian people choose the pork. Over, uh, over the pigs, over the kingdom of Christ. The pig farm, over the kingdom, is what's happening. Think about some of the things. You can fill in your own blanks here. And may the Spirit of God do this for you as we talk. What are the pigs in your life? What is it, the self-interest that you would choose over Jesus that makes you choose pigs over Jesus in your life? What is that? Is it giving priority to your own pleasure and your own comfort? Is it... Is it self-indulgence of some kind? Is it trusting your own ideas and your own plans over Jesus' plan for your future? Is it that damning love for money or greed or covetousness or desire for material gain, taking precedence over things we know that are right? Don't tell me that you don't struggle with that. We all struggle with that. Am I going to work things out on my own? Am I going to trust the Lord Jesus? Is it a career advancement? Is there a dark underbelly of ego satisfaction that makes you choose things that really aren't right? Those are pigs, folks. That's pork over the kingdom. That's choosing the pigs over what Jesus would do in your life. Is it empty things that don't have any eternal or ultimate significance? Or is it just plain the the pig wallow that you're used to and you're comfortable with it because it's just what you're used to doing? The pig returns to its wallow. And that's what the Bible says about going back to your sin. Let's be honest, Evangel Baptist. How many of us have ever been cleaned up and went back to the pig wallow? Yeah, thank you. Joe Miller, thank you. I see that hand. Yeah. You probably didn't want me to call you out publicly, you know, but you were the first guy to raise your hand. Appreciate your candor and honesty. Pastor Pierpont's done that. God's cleaned me up. And oh, so sweet to be clean. Amen? God just cleaned me up. He forgave me. He cleansed me. I'm singing wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. I'm thinking, how could I ever go back? How could I ever go back and wallow in the hog slop of the world when I've tasted and I've seen how sweet Jesus is and I found myself on a dark night of my soul right back in the sin? Anybody besides me and Joe? Yeah, amen. Okay, thank you. We're getting loosened up here, huh? Right? Wouldn't it be so wonderful to say to our Lord Jesus, like, Uh, we're going to invite him and give him the key to the city, key to our heart. Jesus, you're not 
Are you kidding me? Did you come to do something here? Did you come to our region? Did you come to our house? Did you come to my house, Jesus? There's a lot that needs to be done in my house, Jesus. There's a lot that needs to be done in my heart, Jesus. There's a lot that needs to be done in my soul. Oh, Jesus, don't go away. I know that you can do that. I want you to do that. I'm going to beg you, Jesus, every day to do everything that you can do in my heart, in my house, in my soul, in this church, in this region, so that this place will be a place where many people are delivered from the power of darkness and many people are delivered from the shame of the enemy and many people can say praise to his name. Amen? So, I remember a fella, and this is a hard story to tell, but I think it's worthwhile. He's a sweet guy. If you knew him, you'd like him. A sweet guy. We had fellowship together. We talked and we had dinner together. he, He loved his kids. He loved the Lord. I know that he did. He had a job that that he could take almost as much overtime as he wanted. A very prosperous time. He was a hard, hard working guy. You know, some guys, they won't work. And that's sinful and wrong and slothful. And the Bible says you won't work, you shouldn't eat, right? Some guys, they work, and that's just the only way they know how to say, I love you. It's like, that's all they do is just work and work. And they, they're, they're, sometimes they're... Families long to have time with them or to hear their love, but they just don't know how to say I love you except just to work really hard. And, they, and so they take all that overtime and they give the money and bring it home and they take good care of everybody, you know, financially and they pay all the bills. My friend, I don't know if that's altogether true about him, but he got this overtime. So he would say to me, Pastor, you're going to see my family in church on Sunday, but I won't be there because, you know, I got this overtime and... And I, I got this house. He was building this gorgeous house. Just a beautiful, beautiful house. Very tasteful. Very beautiful. They invited us over to their home. And we had dinner. And we, just looked, we all just admired how beautiful his home was. It was a hardworking, common labor guy, but working hard to build this home and to save this money. And his idea was like this. I'm going to just do this for a while, you know. And then when I get my house built, then you're going to see me a lot. But I just, Pastor, you've got to understand, I've got to get this done, and then you're going to see me a lot, you know. But, then, but while he was getting that done, his kids were growing up. And they really weren't quite taking hold like we all long for our kids to take hold of God. I can't tell you the sad, the rest of that story. It's too hard to talk about. I'll never forget how painful it was to hear one day that that house burned to the ground. This is too sacred thing for me to interfere and know what that's all about. But, folks, all of us are going to have before us the choice when Jesus passes through our life. Are we going to ask Him to stay? Are we going to invite Him to stay and work? Are we going to politely ignore him and hope that he will go away and not interfere with what we had in mind? Listen to me. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign king over every dark spirit and every problem is passing through our midst. And we should ask him to stop and stay and deal with our troubles and bring his beauty and grace to our situation. I visited this very place with my wife. The, this region, the only region in that area on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee 
that geographically fits this story is a place near a city called Hippos. We, we went there. We visited that very place. What's interesting is the day that we went there on both sides of the Roman road that leads up to this, what became quite a city, and the remains of the Roman road are still there, and aqueducts and all kinds of historic things. There's barbed wire because it's in the Golan Heights. The barbed wire says, warning, off the path you get into landmines left over from when there was war there. Jesus went there. He delivered demon-possessed men. The people asked him to go away, and he did. Got back in the boat and went away. What's interesting, though, is later on when you read the Gospels, it says many people followed him from Decapolis. How did that happen? He went away. When we walked among the rubble, they, the guide would say, this is where a church was, and this is where another church was. Oh, and over here is where a bigger church was. In the Byzantine area, there were eight churches there. It became a place where there was a great expression of vital Christianity. How did that happen? They asked Jesus to go away. Oh, he tricked them. He went away, probably with a little smile on his face, perhaps, because he left two missionaries that had been delivered from dark forces, and they started telling everybody. That'd be kind of hard to argue with, wasn't it? You remember me. You wouldn't let your kids around me because I didn't have any clothes on. I made all kinds of loud noises all the time. You'd hear me screaming in the night. Your hair would stand up. Lived among the dead. They tried to shackle me. I'll break the shackles. Now I'm sitting clothed and in my right mind. Yeah, we could use a little of that. People that put more clothes on. And not just, you know, outward compliance with somebody's outward standard, but I'm just saying people that love Jesus, their minds are sound, they have genuine, they have sincere modesty that would come to a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, that they would want to wear appropriate clothes for the right time. There's a place in the Bible where it says they were naked and they were not ashamed. We call that marriage, right? Genesis, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Here, we have a place where they're naked and they don't have enough sense to be ashamed. I'll let you guess where our culture is on that. What's that telling you? It's telling me that we need to say to Jesus, Jesus, would you please stop? There's a lot you need to do here. Would you please stay here in my house? There's so many things that my house needs. There's so many things that my heart, my own soul needs. Would you please stop? The Hellenism and the darkness and the paganism that kind of cropped up around Hellenism was a real problem and everybody knew it. And different groups dealt with it different ways. Obviously, Herod was trying to push Hellenism and the paganism and all of that off on the people. The Pharisees, they had an approach. They said, look how bad that is. They were right. And so they said, we'll make rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of rules because it's so bad, we'll make more rules. That didn't work, though. Didn't work. There's another group called the Sadducees. They go, well, that's so bad. You know, it's so pervasive. And everybody, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of blend them together. And the paganism and, and, and the God followers, we're going to blend this thing together. That was wrong. That didn't work. The Essenes, they had another approach. The Essenes said, look how bad that is. We're getting out of here, man. We're going to live in a cave somewhere. Have anybody here ever been tempted to do that? Not in a cave maybe, but nice. A little house on the prairie? Like, like, look how bad the world is. 
And maybe you got the sense to know legalism won't work. And maybe you have the sense to know that license won't work. And so, you know, you just want to build a cabin somewhere a long way away from all the sinners are and move in. But then you go, oh, wait a minute. We're all sinners. So we have our own little inbred kind of thing going on with sin. <laughs> had a young man that wrote to me from camp a couple of years ago, and he said, he had this question. It's a good question. He said, I feel this tug in my heart, this calling to be a missionary. How do I know that's from God? I wrote back and I said, it is. It is. Because anybody who knows Jesus would have a tug in their heart to be a missionary, to tell others about the Lord. Now, I know he was talking about, am I supposed to be a vo- full-time vocational ministry, m- missionary? I understand that's what he was saying. But it's kind of the wrong question. The real, the real question we ought to be asking is, if Jesus is who he says he is, why aren't we all telling everybody that we know so that everybody who's oppressed by dark forces can be delivered from those dark forces that crush them and destroy their dreams and dishonor their lives? Why aren't we telling more people? How God made us to sit, clothed, and in our right minds. There's a thriving church there because of the missionaries. So the question really kind of comes down to, do you want the kingdom of Christ, or do you want your own personal pig farm? Try to imagine what God would do right here if we chose to invite him to do whatever he wants to do. Abraham, there that one day looking off, and here comes a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and Abraham says to his wife, I think you should fix dinner for these guys. He does, and God blesses him in profound ways. Remember that? You remember the, it, it, when there's a big storm on the sea, and Jesus is walking on the storm, and he acts like he's going to go by? He acts like he's going to, like, what was he doing out there walking around? <laughs> he, could, he acts like he's going to go by. And the disciples engage him. That was smart. Would you agree? Otherwise, we might not know anything about them, right? They'd be somewhere in the bottom of the Sea of Galilee now, probably. They say to Jesus, hey, good, good. can I come to you? You remember the road to Emmaus, the famous painting, the beautiful painting, the road to Emmaus? At that point, remember they're walking on the road and he's teaching them really uh, this kind of crash course on the Old Testament. And and then he he does this social politeness, like he acts like he's going to go on. It's like if I came to your house and you said, Pastor, could I bring you some of my gourmet hazelnut coffee? And I would say, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that. What kind did you say it was? Hazelnut? No, no, no. No, not unless you're going to. Yeah, I am. Okay. It's just a politeness. Jesus, I don't know, but that's what the text says. He, he acted like he's going to go on. And they said, would you stay? He said, okay, I'll stay. And then he left them with this passion, this heart burning for God. So Jesus still passes through troubled lives. I'm so glad he does. Jesus still stops where tears are being shed and people are confused and hurt. And he says, anybody need any help here? And there are people who foolishly still say, I'm afraid of what that would look like, so I don't want to be rude or anything, Jesus, but could you please maybe just keep moving? But there are going to be some people who say to him, Jesus, pass me not, pass me not, pass me 